Hey everybody, welcome to Kings and Priests. I'm Michael, and today we have a special bonus episode. Dean and I got to talk with Tim Sweetman for his podcast, Mission and Margin. Tim is a Christian, local business owner, and entrepreneur, and launched Mission and Margin to parse through some questions he was wrestling with last year. The Mission and Margin podcast has conversations with business owners, founders, nonprofit leaders, and theologians about how it's possible to both care for people while running a wildly successful business. I've dropped a link to the Mission and Margin podcast in the show notes. In this conversation, Dean and I talk with Tim about failures, building a mission-minded business, why Christian organizations shouldn't be subpar, and why we are more optimistic than ever about the future of business and the future of the church as we come out of the pandemic. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Kings and Priests Podcast. As always, rating the show, leaving a review for the show is a massive help. Now let's get to our conversation with Tim Sweetman. Really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast and, and joining me. And I'm really, really thrilled to have this conversation, both because your podcast has been an inspiration to me, has been encouraging to me, but it's also good to have a fellow Sweetman on the podcast as well. And so we got to talk about that uh, previously, and it's it's really neat. And we, it's a good reminder that I'm sure we have a ton of cousins out there and uh, <laughs> you never know who you're talking to. You might be related to them. So, uh, but Dean, I thought maybe I'd kick it off with you. And, and really, I would love to have our listeners and even myself hear a, a little bit about the background. I know you talk about it a lot and, and a lot of people may have heard this story already, but I think it's an encouraging sure. story of how Tithely came into existence. And honestly, why did you start it and, and how did it come about? So I was in ministry in different capacities for about 30 years. I started um, from Australia, from Sydney originally, and uh, I traveled, you know, as as an evangelist uh, throughout Asia and Africa, all over the world. Uh, And then I planted a church um, in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996, and uh, for about 20 years, just was part of a fantastic team that really just served the greater Atlanta area. And um, I was always into technology, had always really closely followed uh, the tech space. I remember when the iPhone came out, uh, in like in 07, 08, somewhere there, and then the App Store came out. I downloaded the Starbucks app onto my phone and went to my local Starbucks and got the app out and, you know, I held it up, and the girl really didn't know what I was doing. And I said, look, this is the Starbucks app. I can buy my coffee with this. And she's like, okay. So I, you know, did the zap. And of course, in like, whenever this was, maybe 2012, she was shocked. The ticket spat out. They made the drink. And it was in that moment that I had the idea that uh, church giving should be that easy. And so, you know, knowing all the friction involved in generosity in the church space, I just... Uh, got together with my older son at the time, and we developed the first church giving app. And I tested it in my own church in t- 2014. And then in 2015, decided to go full time, hand over the reins to uh, what I was doing on the ministry front, and concentrate full time on building uh, what started as a as, as a mobile mobile giving solution, and has since kind of branched into all kinds of other software for churches. So that's that's the quick story. Yeah, that's I, and it's amazing because it sounds like in a really short period of time it has erupted and has been really really successful. Obviously, you have competitors out there, but you guys are standing out as one of the top products for people mm-hmm. to use uh, above anything else. And and what I'd love to hear is, I mean, you stepped out of the ministry space, which is a, a different world than yep. running a company. So when you look at those early days, because I, I think there's a number of people that listen to this podcast or, or uh, and we'll talk more about this, but they're, they're about to step out there. They're thinking about what does it look like to start my own business? What does it look like to maybe leave my job? Those kinds of things. What would you have done differently when you look back at starting the company in those early days? Uh, you know, I think I was, we were right place, right time, right product. We had terrific, you know, product market fit, as they say, and we were solving a big problem. And so 
you know, I remember trying to get tech guys in my church to get an easy recurring giving button on our website. And it was really, really difficult. Um, payments were difficult. There's all these legacy payment solutions that are out there that you, and even when PayPal come, came along, you know, that act of setting up a recurring giving was really still difficult. So um, we solved, you know, a couple of main problems with church generosity. The first problem we solved is because we put it on the, on a phone, you could give anywhere, anytime. You know, in the South this, this last weekend, they had an ice storm, right? And guess what happens when you get an ice storm in Atlanta? No one comes to church. Guess what happens when no one comes to church? 85% of your budget is lost for that week. Because mm. essentially church giving is done fairly habitually on a Sunday in person. And so we solved that anywhere, anytime. And then the second thing we solved was the uh, recurring portion. You could easily set up a recurring gift in a couple of clicks. And so those two things were just, you know, we were very fortunate. Right place, right moment. And because uh, I knew the market, I, I knew the problems that, you know, church administrators faced. I just, you know, went about building the platform. And we built it for a particular kind of customer. She's affectionately known as Betty, the bookkeeper. And she's 60. She's probably a volunteer, maybe works a day or two a week. And so we always design software so Betty can use it. And if Betty can use it, anyone can use it. So you went into it really thinking specifically and strategically about who your target audience was, and you felt like that was one of the biggest wins early on. You you had a product that solved a problem, which is pretty different, I think, from a lot of people who start businesses and fail businesses. They don't usually look to solve a problem. They just think they have a cool idea and right. want to bring it to market more often than not. So now you had to have some failures along the way, though. There had to have been some challenges early on. What are some of the way I'm going to phrase it? And I'm stealing this from Tim Ferriss. What are some of your favorite failures that you've had over the last couple of years um, as, as really a young company? Yeah. Yeah, we're coming up to seven years old. You know, pre-tidely, pre I had failed a lot. Like, I was, I'd been in ministry for many years, but had always been fairly entrepreneurial and, you know, real estate and different products and I'd tried different things and some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, I, I think the biggest thing I would do differently having learned early days is that I think we were too slow in being aggressive about growth. You know, we, we kind of got going and I had a little round of funding, a little angel, you know, seed round of funding to get to start the business. And I wish I'd have been more aggressive earlier. We did, you know, we did catch up pretty quick after we realized that, man, there is a lot of churches that need this product. And so we put a lot of money into marketing and R&D in year two and three. And then because COVID really accelerated everything too for companies like us. Hmm. You know, if you, if you look at all these companies that really pulled forward, you know, 18 months, 24 months in acquiring customers, we were certainly one of those. And so, uh, but fortunately we were ready. Like we were, you know, we were already sounding, signing up thousands of customers a year pre-COVID. <laughs> when COVID hit, we signed up 12,000 in six weeks. Uh, so wow. as you can imagine, it's been uh, quite the rocket ride. I can't even imagine. And, and what does it look like over the last seven years? Did you, you guys started it really thinking about, okay, we're going to build an app. Was yep. there, was that, was the intentionality behind that? Hey, we're going to actually build an app and there's going to be a whole, this, this whole company behind it, or was it yep. just an app? What, did you actually have a strategy to build a company and have this, this long road ahead? Yeah. yeah. From day one, I wanted to build, you know, the largest church technology company in the world. That was my goal. And so, you know, we're about 180 employees now. We did about 1.2 billion last year in like raising money for churches for our customers, trying to get to 2 billion is, is you know, it took, I think it took um, the first billion took about five years, but we did the second billion in nine months. So, you know, it's, it's kind of growing a lot. We, we're going for about 1.8 next year, but um, I always wanted to build a, a software platform to serve church. We started with giving, we, you know, branched out into, you know, basic CRM for churches, data management, donor management. We build apps, websites, we do messaging, we do everything now. But yeah, I always had the attention of building a big company. That's what I felt like I was supposed to do after I stepped down from full-time ministry. Hmm. And when you went about those early days, you're thinking about, okay, we've got a product, we're going to build this out. I think maybe people 
wrongfully would just assume that you're going to build a mission-minded organization. But in my research, I quickly realized it's not the case for all uh, platforms that are similar to Tithely, but there's a number of companies out there that they're not mission-minded. They're, they're, they're not trying to build an organization or a culture that is, is even faith-based or faith-driven whatsoever. And so what I, I would love to hear, we'll, we'll certainly dive more into it. And then uh, I want to get with, we talked to Michael about a few things too, but what are some of the intentional things you've done from the early stages to make it a mission-minded or a faith-driven organization? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple thoughts here. One is, you know, you got to ask yourself these questions. What's the mission of the business, right? What am I trying to achieve? And I was trying to make payments and giving easier. I was trying to make technology accessible for churches. Cause, so that was the kind of the mission. But because, you know, my mission was church customers, I wanted the culture of the business and, and more importantly, the culture of the employees to have an, an empathetic understanding of that customer. So, you know, you've you, you got to be careful how you hire and what you say, but because you can't go out and say, hey, I'm just looking for Christians to work at my business, right? But you can screen and interview and find out, you know, what the missional intent of the person is, and you can lean that way to hiring people that are missionally aligned. Now, if I was selling to another segment, let's say I was selling to, you know, art gallery owners or, or you know, dry cleaners, and I was trying to do payments for dry cleaning, you know, businesses, uh, you'd still use the same strategy. You, you want to be hiring people that get and understand your mission. And so then you can get about going after the mission with missional minded people that are going to do it with you. So that's, that's the way I approach it. Yeah, and it seems like that's something you could you could have learned or you probably did learn through your time in ministry, right? It's this it it doesn't matter whether you're running a multi-billion dollar organization or you're leading a church. It it does come back to that mission and having those people that are tied into that. Um before we start talking about diving in even deeper to that, I I definitely want to make a point of having you guys and Michael, maybe you could share a little bit about your background as well where you came from, what you've been doing, and and share a little bit about what you guys are doing about the Kings and Priests podcast, because I think it's a perfect segue into what we want to talk about in terms of building faith-based organizations um, that are a little a little bit different than what people may assume when they hear Christian organization. Yeah, man, I think I was like you, where I, you know, early on, age of 16, I got saved in a youth meeting, and all I ever wanted to do was ministry from the time I was 16 and graduated high school early went to Bible college, worked at a church in Texas. And um, frankly, the church went through a lot of difficulty, um, which kind of sort of made me rethink my, you know, future and what I was going to do. Anyways, ended up in LA, kind of left Dallas and came to LA. And about honestly, three or four months into LA, I had a friend that brought me to a church that Dean was pastoring at the time. And honestly, have just kind of thrown myself into that, into that world. And so been here, planted a church and now pastor here in Los Angeles, but have not done that vocationally really, except for a couple of years during the process. And kind of just by happenstance, I got a job when I first moved out here with a serial entrepreneur, a guy who uh, kind of invented taxi top advertising. Um, and it just sold this business and was in the process of starting about four or five different business in the advertising space. And honestly just started out as his like driver and personal assistant. And so uh, over the years, just honestly got obsessed with uh, learning and kind of fell in love with with starting businesses. So I've been doing that over the years and um, have obviously always, you know, talked back and forth with Dean. I say kings and priests is just my excuse to ask Dean questions every week. So that's really uh, why I started it personally. But um, no, so basically, long story short, over the pandemic, I along with one of my best friends, Jake, who is Dean's son, also my pastor, we just started really thinking about what was the discourse online around Christianity? What were our friends listening to? What were the conversations they were having? And one thing that we found out really quickly uh, was our friends uh, were listening to a lot of podcasts from a lot of people that really weren't Christian at all, which was totally fine, but they weren't, you know, listening to sermons online. They weren't you know, reading devotionals, they were wanting to learn how to think better and think better about their faith. And so we just kind of started experimenting uh, with what that looked like. Around the same time in COVID, I, with a couple of my friends, started and built and sold a business over the course of about 16 months. 
and really rediscovered my love for entrepreneurship. So honestly, man, that's where it comes out of is as a local church pastor who does this bivocationally, uh, really just going, how can we help people think better about uh, culture and theology from, you know, this vast podcast network that we've kind of just launched and are in the early days of building. And then with Kings and Priests specifically, we're in LA and we pastor in LA. And there's so many people who uh, are entrepreneurs, artists, freelancers, actors. And frankly, as a local church pastor, I was tired of seeing people come to LA, live in their 20s, build a life, and then move away because they couldn't afford to stay in this city. And so me personally, I feel called here. And I don't want to move for uh, the ability to do something like buy a house or change the way that I live. And so for me, it was just about how do I create something to help educate people who are just honestly in my immediate world, uh, what it looks like to build a business, build a company, go after what you feel like God's called you to do. So I guess that's a very short kind of all encompassing way of kind of explaining what, what brought us to where we are now. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I think people will really, really benefit from that specific perspective that you have of the bivocational pastor that, that kind of is wrestling and loves ministry, but also loves entrepreneurship. And that sort of creates a perfect individual and person to lead an organization. So speaking of that, before we, we talk about a, a little bit about the, the challenges around running a Christian organization. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your, both of you guys, your, your ideas around leading with excellence and some of the learnings that you've had over the years, especially Dean. I, I know you said that there's been many failures that you've had over the years. How did you, or what would you, let me rephrase it. How would you speak to say a guy in their twenties or thirties uh, like myself or or Michael or maybe somebody younger than that that is up and coming has a lot of talent and sees himself as a pretty strong leader has gotten a lot of good feedback how would you speak to that person what would you what would you encourage them what would you challenge them on as they think about man one day I want to own a business I I hear this all the time I sit down with people in their 20s and they tell me all the time I want to own a Chick-fil-A I want to run my own business and oftentimes I have some thoughts for them but but I'd really love to hear from you what you would tell that person well first of all we need more business owners who you know have faith in, in Jesus right so I always start off with the premise the more entrepreneurs who are Christians the better you got to ask yourself some real serious questions. If you're supposed to be, uh, you know, a business owner, business creator, starting something from scratch, should you, you know, do something like you've done very wisely and attached yourself to a very successful organization and you're building an incredible business because you have, you know, kind of great people around you from that organization. Do you do something from scratch? I'd say the main, you know, I, if I was in my twenties, I would, Focus on becoming an expert in something. So usually what happens is, is that when you get really good at something and you, and you understand something really, really well, maybe better than anyone else, it opens the door for opportunity to potentially that to become a business. So I would spend your 20s learning and becoming an expert in something. So by the time you hit your 30th birthday and, and like take your pick, the, the thing I became an expert in was church, was the business of church. Um, and that's a very particular, very kind of just streamlined vertical, you know, if we're using the, the parlance here. I understood how churches work from a business perspective. I planted hundreds and hundreds of churches. I'd seen them fail. I'd seen them succeed. I knew how budgets work. I knew all the pitfalls of raising money. And so I just bought the expertise that took me kind of about 30 years, really, I didn't start tightly till I was, you know, 50 and, and really I, but it was, so learn, spend all the time you can early on in your career, becoming an expert. Um, if it's something you're passionate about, good. It doesn't have to be, you know, this kind of follow your dream, make your passion, your dream, like, nah, I'm not sure about that, but just, you know, always be on the lookout for, and back to your former point, you know, I think problem solving is the number one thing. And, just because something's a good idea to you, I think is the wrong way to, to spend your time and, and think about launching a business. You always want to be looking for problems. And if you can start solving those problems, 
that's usually a great early sign that there's a, a, a business around that. Yeah. And I, I think you said something too, that, that I think is super challenging for somebody in their twenties or even thirties. You said it, that you didn't start your business until you were 50 years old. And I think there's a lot of young people, say millennials and, and, and others that are so afraid that the time's going to run out and we won't be able to totally. live our life and everything's going to move past. Yeah. How would you encourage that that person that that has that internal struggle of and fear of yeah. time's going to run away? You know, and they're because they're passionate. I mean, it's right. coming from a good place, right? But yeah. but at the end of the day, like they they need to they, they they almost can get in their way, and they're so worried about that all the time. I mean, your first five ideas are probably going to fail. You know, the <laughs> the, the guy I, I get inspiration from is Eli Calloway. And if, if you've ever been around the golf world, you know that Callaway golf clubs are premium. I, you'd have to double check me on this, but I think he was in his mid sixties when he invented the big Bertha. Wow. And, and he was successful in other endeavors and he'd made money and lost money, but he came up with the idea of going from a wooden, you know, driver to something made out of metal. And uh, I don't know what the market cap is today, but it's multiple billions he's passed on now. So yeah, just, let every decade be a decade of experience and that you can build upon. And you're going to have a ton of failures. You're going to have failures personally. You're going to have failures financially. The spirit of a real entrepreneur is that they never give up. And that the, the failure, and this is what I love about Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley, you can burn through like $50 million and be a failure and dust yourself off. And there's like someone around the corner ready to give you another 50 like failure is celebrated. We can learn so much as the church around when people make mistakes and, oh, we've got to put them on the shelf for five years and, you know, they messed up and, and maybe we shouldn't give them another go. Listen, the world thinks more like God sometimes than the, than the church does when it comes to failure. And I just think you've got to be prepared to learn every day from what's working, what's not working, and then just have this long-term view where you're always building on your, on your past experiences. So encouraging. And I think I had a, I had a leader that I worked for who would always talk about it as failing forward. Yep. Not, not being afraid to fail, but the worst thing that can happen is you fail and you quit. The good yep. thing is when you say, look, I'm going to take this as a learning, as an opportunity, and it's going to propel me forward. It's going to help me grow. And uh, yeah, I love the idea. I've started, maybe it's just because as you get a little bit older year after year, you stop worrying about every single year and you start thinking about, okay, this decade yep. is about this theme and and this idea. So it's super, super encouraging. Michael, what, what would you say about that? I'd love to hear your thoughts too, as, as a young guy who's got a lot of passion and desire to grow things. Uh, how have you wrestled with that? And 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 would you, how would you encourage somebody in their twenties? I know you, you're doing that as a, as a pastor, but also as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I would just honestly echo so much of what, what Dean just said. I think, I think the big thing that I would say, and I would say the big thing that I probably did and I honestly probably did it a bit too long as I think oftentimes when you're young especially in your 20s you really get anxious to start your own thing you know and you get restless and a lot of people that I know that are natural entrepreneurs they move from thing to thing because they get bored or they want to try something new and um, I just know for me I would not be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't spent a lot of time a lot of, around a lot of really smart people and honestly just soaked it up um, and I look back and I go, you know, there are seasons in my life where I was like so hungry to go do my own thing. And I think honestly, I've now just in the last couple of months stepped away and from, you know, what I was sort of doing before vocationally to build this business full time. And I think had I done it even three years ago or five years ago, I would have had not near as much of a shot of succeeding as I, as I, as I do now. So I just think honestly, for someone in their 20s and, and especially 30s, Find someone that's really smart and doing what you want to be doing. Fight your way into that world however you can and stay there, honestly, uh, for a bit too long. Like stay there until that person is like, dude, what? it's time to go do something else. And that's honestly what happened to me. I got connected to this gentleman who was so successful and I just, I kind of stuck around. And it wasn't until I was like, honestly, 30 and I was like, man, I think it's probably time for me to go try something, you know, something different here. And so I just think don't be in such a hurry. 
and and learn as much as you can and do whatever you can to fight to be around people who are doing what you want to be doing and honestly for lack of a <laughs> a more christianese term just serve find out where you can help find out the problems that they need solved find out i mean for me it was like I had progressed from being, you know, this gentleman's personal assistant to running two different businesses for him. But guess what? I still was the one that wanted to pick him up from LAX on a Thursday afternoon at five o'clock. Why? Because I was going to be in the car with him for two and a half hours. And I was going to get to ask him questions and I was going to get to listen and, and, and pay attention to the phone calls he had while in the car. And so, I don't know, for me, that's just I guess the advice I would give somebody is um, fight your way into someone's life and and stay there a bit too long <laughs> and and learn all that you can and help them build their thing, you know. Yeah. Um, helping someone build their thing is rewarding and it also gives you some safety to not have the risk of trying to build build your own. So. Yeah, that's so good. I I don't want to let that pass. I think the importance of having a mentor is incredible, can't be overstated. And I think, Dean, I've heard you say too, there's no excuses to have somebody like that. You can reach out to anybody now. Everybody's accessible. You can you can absolutely have these conversations with people. Oh my gosh. Like in my gen, when I grew up, when I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s, you revered those that were in front of you. And it was kind of an unsaid thing that you didn't really kind of crash into the world and try and you know, get them, they were up there and you were down here. I think that has totally switched. This generation of leaders is really excited, whether it's in church, in business, whatever, to take hold of younger people and really mentor them. And, you know, it's funny. I have people that say to me, hey, Dean, could could you spend some time with me? And would you mention my life? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, here's, here's my email. Just, you know, reach out. And I put it on them, right? Um, mm. it's funny. Most of them don't get back. They just wow. like the idea of being mentored. And then I have others, you know, I had a young guy kind of reach out to me the other day. He goes like, could you, could you spend a half an hour a month with me? I said, yep, yeah, pick a day. Let's make it the same half an hour every. And, you know, he, he sent me in a calendar invite. I gave him three options and he picked one and he sent me the invite. And now I'm going to meet with him 30 minutes a month. Right. And so, yeah, I think the, the other thing is there's nothing that you can't learn now for free. Hmm. Okay? So, whether it be podcasts, YouTube, or whatever, if you want to learn about something, you can do the whole MBA from Harvard for free. You can, you can go to Oxford and learn like every single bit of information you need to start your next business is available for free. So it's kind of like there's no excuse as for an entrepreneur now because of the access to information, the access to people. I've DM'd, you know, people on Twitter who are like crazy, super successful and they've gotten back to me. If someone DMs me on Twitter, I always get back to them. So I think this is a golden era for both having great people accessible and having information accessible on just about anything. Super exciting, super encouraging. I mean, I had... I had a team member that I was speaking to last week and she's really wanting to start a clothing line and, and wanted to starting her, her own business. And uh, we're sitting there and she's talking about how her high school teacher had said, Oh yeah, I'm going to bring in this person. And she's like, yeah, they just never brought him in. And I just sat her, sat her down and said, why don't you call her? Why don't you email her? Why don't you DM her? What What's holding you back? Why are you waiting? And I, I just, uh, I don't know if you guys have read this book, but there's a, a book, I think it's called the 15, commitments of a conscious leader. And one of the the main themes of that book is a conscious leader is someone who decides the world is not happening to them. Yep. Uh, that's too often the, the tendency of the generation that ah, things are happening to me and there's nothing I can do to affect that. Um, but, but the conscious leader is somebody who actually looks at the world and the circumstances and situations and, and almost looks at it as a, a situation where it's happening for them. And there's there's learning to be out there. And, and so having that spirit of wanting to learn, of curiosity and willingness to just ask is incredible. And I, and I can't say enough too about just doing your MBA. Like you said, Dean, that's part of my story. I, I did share with you guys uh, offline, but one of the things that I did instead of getting an MBA is I literally went to Harvard's website, downloaded yep. everything, did all the books, read everything, I and I felt it. like I learned just as much. It was incredible. And so yeah. it's really not hard to do. It really is not hard to do. There's no excuses. Definitely no but excuses. Before the internet, I used to read, and I still do actually, I used to read this magazine called The Economist, and it's a British magazine. 
Uh, and it, it, it's, it's political, it's business, it's economics, it's, you know, all that's global too. And I read that thing cover to cover for 10 years. Cause I, you know, I dropped out of school at the 10th grade. I didn't, I didn't finish high school. I did a couple of years of, of ministry, you know, training college, you know, in Bible college, but really no formal education. And I didn't really get a passion for reading until kind of into my twenties. And I, I signed up for Bible college and there's like 14 textbooks on my desk the first day. And I'm like, oh, crap, I better get to learn to read. <laughs> but once I discovered the power of, of, you know, reading and gaining knowledge, I read The Economist cover to cover every week for 10 years. And I could tell you who the president of Zimbabwe was. I knew the economics of what was going on just about anywhere in the world. So fast forward that, that's like this is an old guy telling you about what he used to do and read business magazines in the 80s and 90s. But now the access to your point, going downloading the MBA from Harvard, it's, just, it's all there. So don't, don't tell me like you don't have an opportunity. Don't give me five excuses why you can't do something. All the knowledge is there. Go get it, get passionate and go and execute. I uh, love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, I think it's a perfect segue too, uh, to talk about building a faith-based organization because it, it, here's the context. And this is an ongoing conversation on this podcast m- among many other podcasts, but when it comes to Christian organizations, there is a bent towards second class or low quality. So that that can, for me, I've seen it bleed into the way that performance happens. I can see it in the way that even candidates that are applying to work for me tend to think, oh, it's a Christian organization. They'll take second class. They'll take 50%. They'll take less. And I'm of the opinion and the thought of, it's the other way around. It should be the absolute best. So Dean, how have you battled against that? Because I think even even more so, or you, you may be very similar in the context I come from, people think, oh, it's a Christian organization, and all the negative things flow out of that. I would love to hear you just rant against that. What, is, what does that look like? I can rant for a long time on this one. Um, first of all, here's, here's the thing. There's no such thing as a Christian business person. You're a Christian who happens to be running a business, number one. It's like there's no such thing as a Christian plumber, right? You're a plumber who happens to be a Christian. So um, if you're in business, you're in business for one reason. There's one reason that you're in business. That's to make a profit. And you might, you know, make enough to support you and your family, a one-man business. That's awesome. You could build a little boutique business, you know, fixing washing machines for a living, and, you know, you're going to pay yourself a decent wage, and that's awesome. Maybe you want to hire 20 people to fix washing machines. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you've got a bigger business. So you're in business, number one. Now, do I have my Christian values overlay how I make decisions within the structure of my business? Absolutely. I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm going to treat people with respect. I'm going to honor um, all the things that Jesus teaches me to do as a person. I'm going to apply to my business, but I'm not going to softball and run my company as some kind of loss making thing so I can be super generous to everyone and be this kind of half-hearted thing. I mean, you're in business to make a profit. If you want to go start a nonprofit, that's a different thing. That's like, if you want to go feed the hungry, if you want to go educate poor kids, if you want to go do, sure, that's a different thing. And I love that. And you know, I've done some of that, but no, first things first, I'm here to make a profit. So my expectations of you as an employee are extremely high. And I, you know, I kind of the same as you, I, I just, I just, I'm repelled by this idea that anything Christian has to be second class. And you, you also mentioned that if you want to go into the helping people and, and everything nonprofit world, but the reality is even in a nonprofit, where are they getting the funding from? Yeah. I mean, look, here's my premise and hopefully we'll talk about socialism at some point and how evil it is. But if you ain't got it, you can't give it. Right. So that's that's the reality. Right. So, yeah, you're either raising money if you've got your nonprofit and you want to do good or you're you're selling a product or a service and you're making a profit of it. and You're applying that into your business so you can employ more people to plow it into your business to grow your business. It's just this cycle of growth that you have to be on. And so, yeah, one one thousand percent. So, so powerful. So you, I assume, like me, have had personnel issues where you may have a person that's not performing well. And the tendency is to say, hey, look, there's always grace here. And and that's coming out of the values of the organization that may even be one of the values of the organization. 
How have you handled poor performance or even having to terminate someone? What does that look like in your organization? And how do you how do you deal with your leadership team and, and your staff to make sure that one, you're holding people to a higher standard or the highest of standards and helping team members and everybody understand, look, we're not going for second class or going for the best. And then for those that do not perform well, uh, how do you approach those situations? And maybe even talk about terminations. Yeah, I fired, uh, I had to fire a manager before Christmas. Tough, right? So here's my default position. And this is what I've learned. And I've tried to change this over the years, but I, I never do. So I now I embrace it. I always wait longer than I should have to let someone go. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give people probably one chance too many. It's my nature. I don't mind that it sometimes works out bad for me or my business. I'll tell you, there's one caveat when I do act quick when I see it is when the performance of an employee is affecting the business as a whole or affecting other people. Like I have no room for if you're tr treating people with disrespect, if you're treating women disrespectfully, you know, you get the, you get the call pretty quick, but I default to a, you know, to probably waiting too long. So having said that, everybody has their limit. Everybody knows when it's time for someone to leave the organization. And what I've learned is to when it's when you've decided as the leader, and you know, I have managers now that kind of, you know, do most of that within our business, but there's still, you know, 10, 15 people that directly, if I'm, you know, not happy, I'm, I'm gonna ask them to 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 go. You've got to do it, tough decisions. If you enjoy firing people, <laughs> that's not cool because it's like the worst thing you have to do, but it's something you you can't be afraid to do. And I've, I've just always defaulted on waiting probably a bit too long to give people a second chance. But here's also what I've learned. My gut feeling that I first had about a person is usually right. And it's just, I've, I've just been a little over gracious sometimes in, in, you know, seeing the move out of the organization, but that's just the way I am. So, you know, that's how I do it. Yeah. I think it's helpful. And I, I have another episode out um, that, that people can go back to with uh, Mike Farrag, but Mike talks about how, for him, it's very similar. And I think he also just says, you know, like as a Christian business owner, as a business owner happens to be a Christian, his values are that, that he treats every person with honor, dignity, and respect, regardless of the situation. And so there are times where that may not benefit you as the CEO, founder, leader. It may be a little bit more painful, but you're going to approach it and treat that person as you would want to be treated. And that's a pretty tough thing to do. And it's a lot easier just to uh, approach it from the perspective of, you know, you stole money and this is the way we're going to, we're going to approach it. And, you know, we're going to cut you off. And, and so, I, you know, we're going to make mistakes along the way. I know I've definitely made mistakes along the way and how I've handled those situations. And, and I also want to hear your thoughts too, Michael, um, about the idea of pulling people back to excellence when there's just the ongoing tendency for, people in Christian organizations to lean towards the second class or low quality? How are you consistently building an organization or culture that pulls people towards excellence? What has you seen that has worked to make that happen? Oh, man. Um, I think the biggest thing is just a mutually shared accountability. You know, I think for us in a church context and also in any business context, it's sort of like, um, I think it's Ray Dalio who has that principle of uh, radical candor, which is just sort of setting the expectation at the beginning. Hey, if you're going to be part of this team or if you're going to work here or if you're going to be part of, you know, uh, even in a church context, a volunteer team, we're just going to be in a very obviously kind, loving, honoring way, just really honestly uh, very specific and unashamed of feedback. Why? Because we're trying to build something that is great. And so I think the first thing is honestly just setting that expectation right off the bat. You know, in a church context, I get to build church with some of the, like, my best friends in the world. So there's two good things about that. One, we really love each other. But two, we can also call each other out when we need to be called out on specific things like excellence. And so I think for me, that's just what I've seen is just being right up front in the beginning. Hey, if you're going to be part of this team, we're going to be really clear about expectation. We're going to all hold one another to uh, these standards. Uh, and then we're not going to shy back from just having real, honest, frank conversations. And then what I just try and do as a leader is always model asking for feedback um, because if I ask for feedback, that means that other people are going to feel comfortable and it's going to be part of their uh, routine to ask for feedback. So I think it's just honestly modeling it first and foremost, and just making other people 
really just buy into, hey, we're all gonna hold each other accountable to this. And if we do, it's not gonna be as awkward when we need to hold each other accountable. Uh, and two, uh, over the long course of time, we're gonna be better and we're gonna produce a more excellent product. We're gonna minister to people in a better way. We're gonna build a better business or whatever that may be. Yeah, that's great. Dean, what, what about you? What about ways that you, over the years, um, as you built this organization or even in the past, that you've helped your people flourish even as you're demanding excellence, you're, you're demanding an organization that grows. Um, how have you helped people do that? You know, you ha- as a leader, you have to create an environment. And we talked a bit about it where it's okay to fail. It's okay to, you know, miss a goal. Um, that's not final. Uh, but I think that you have to have this culture where people feel inspired to do better than they've ever done before. And so, you know, I got people in, in customer service and look, customer service is the brutalest job in, in a tech company because you're basically listening to people complaining all day. Hey, this isn't working and that's not, and this didn't do what, I, and it's oftentimes it's user error, right? You, the person is, doesn't, hasn't worked it out, but you can't say you're an idiot. It, the button is here. It's right in front of your face, you numbskull. Like you have to like, like, hey, let me show you over here and let me take you. And it's like, but, and that's hard. It's hard to be the best at customer service every time you take a call. And, you know, so, but I think you want to, you have to reward people. So, you know, I love providing great paying above average jobs that pay great, great benefits, the whole thing. But, you know, with that come expectations. And my expectation isn't for you to be perfect. My expectation is, is to be the best plus a little bit more. And mm-hmm. to expect that little bit more of yourself because, you know, perfection is the enemy of productivity. Okay. So we're not looking for that as leaders, but we just want people to wake up every day and whatever it is they're tasked with doing, we want them to be their best plus 10%. It's fantastic. When I started my business, and I think there's a lot of young leaders that would fall into this category, every single thing that happens in that organization, they take personally. So I would get a review on my business, and it was really not about me. It was about the the sandwich or the service or whatever oh. else it might be. But man, I would take that personally. And even to this day, I've I've have a, a real challenge in reading reviews because yep. it's so incredibly personal. Yep. Um, how if I, I can't even imagine with with an organization as large as yours and um just dealing, you're dealing with the general public just as, as anybody else is. How have uh, you responded or dealt with that over the years and, and kind of listening to criticism, especially yep. when it comes to a product you've put so much time and energy into? Yeah. Well, I think that, that comes back to, you know, how emotionally aware are you to accept criticism? Most people can't accept it when it's glaring them in the face. And so, and you have to be willing to, we want customer feedback. Like our, our product or most products or services live or die on what the customer thinks of them. And if you're consistently getting bad ratings, whether it be a sandwich or a piece of software, if your customers don't like what you're building, you might be able to like smoke and mirrors and make more sales over here. But something we talk a lot about in the software world is churn. So if I'm signing up a hundred new customers a month, but I'm losing 20, like I'm going backwards really quick. And so I think uh, you just have to have that thick skin of being able to really and truly be committed to listening to your customers and letting them. Now, we don't release a product now without 40, 50 of our customers having a look at it. And we actually, we just built a new pledge product that, you know, allows churches to, you know, create a pledge campaign and, you know, raise a million dollars for a piece of land or whatever. We literally had five of our biggest customers help us build it because I wanted to build the best pledge tool on the planet. And it it basically was eight months of listening to customers to make sure that we got it right. And so, you know, that's, that's all it's posture. It's, am I willing to put myself out there to hear the criticism? And then once you're cool with that, you actually invite it. You want the input from the customer. Hmm. Yeah. And it it sounds like, to it goes back to what I was saying about you know things aren't happening to you they could be happening yeah. for you that's a really amazing posture and also I would assume that Tithely is not your one and only identity and so what yeah. happens in the organization 
is not going to make or break who you are ultimately as a, as a human being and as a person. So I think that's uh, really encouraging. I know to be encouraging for lots of other people. So uh, as promised, I do want to talk about the evils of socialism and I will start with a little bit of a context uh, over this uh, past weekend. Now this, we're recording this uh, in mid January. Um, the New York times has released an article from David Brooks and he shares the title is America is falling apart. And mm. one of the one of the quotes in there is around charitable donations, but I also want to I'll I'll talk a little bit more about my thoughts on this too, but in the article it says in 2000 the year 2000 66.2% of households made a charitable donation, but by 2018 only 49.6% did. The share who gave to religious causes dropped as worship service attendance did, but the share of households who gave to secular causes also hit a new low, 42% in 2018. So you're seeing charities, uh, things that we would normally give to in the past, massively failing. And I would say I am seeing, maybe maybe wrongfully, but I think I'm seeing a rise, especially around my generation and uh, and, and younger generations, a desire and, and almost a, a, an expectation that socialism or the ideas around it make sense to them. They right. are very frustrated that things aren't quote fair yeah. and there needs to be equality and things should just be handed to them. And and I obviously I want to carefully say like I'm not trying to make sweeping generalizations and I know that's not the case for everybody, but at large there is for whatever reason a growing sense that the current state of affairs is not right. And there are, we, I think we can fairly criticize, Dean, I'm sure you can, some of the things around capitalism. However, right. I don't think we want to go in the opposite direction. So talk to us about what it looks like to rightfully, I think as a Christian, approach capitalism, yep. and at the same time, really acknowledge what's wrong with socialism. So a couple things first, just on that donation generosity front, Church giving, so church attendance is down. If you read all the reports, Barna has the best data out there. Actually giving to religious organizations is going up. So there's, there's less people going to church, but you know, 2020, there was still 130 billion given to faith-based organizations. So it's not going down. As five, many as 5,000 churches are closing a year, but 5,000 are being planted. Big unreported truth. So mm. I'm not worried about the kingdom of God as far as when it comes to certainly North America. Um, when it comes to, as a Christian, what do I think of capitalism and what do I think of socialism? I believe it has to be framed from a biblical worldview, right? How do I see the world? Let's, let's say I'm not a Christian and I don't believe the Bible for a second. I have compassion as a human to help the poor. Um, let's say I have that. And so that's going to manifest in maybe I'm, I want to go and, you know, pick up trash or maybe I want to start a food bank. You don't have to be a Christian to do good, okay? But where we start from as believers, and, and oftentimes people who are charitable and are not people of faith tend to lean a little more, you know, politically left because there's this sense of big business, profit, evil. We need to redistribute that. That's not fair. They use all these words. There's not equity in this for everyone. So here's, here's where I start. The, the bottom line for me is I'm going to look at the world through what the Bible teaches and says. And if you look at the basics of what socialism is, the, and I mean the, the, you know, 19th century, you know, Marxist kind of, you know, kind of play out. It's number one, it's theft, right? It's stealing. Uh, number two, it's the expulsion of personal liberty. Both of which those two things are biblical to the core. Okay, hmm. not being a thief is old, an Old Testament and New Testament thing. Not working and and not like providing for your family, which means you know, in the sense of people do better when they're incentivized to do better. What socialism does, it takes from some people and gives the same amount to everybody but not everybody has worked as hard as everybody else. So I go and work hard for what I do. I go and do 60 hours a week. I build my business. Socialism says either through aggressive taxation or just out, outright theft is that they want to take some of that. 
and give it to people who maybe didn't work as hard. Now, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, we are commanded to help those less fortunate. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor. So as Christians, we believe, that's why generosity is, is so important in the, in the realm of how as a Christian, you have to think about money. Because as a, as a believer, you're taught in scripture that you own nothing, that everything you have has been given to you by God, and that you are just a steward for this period of time while you're on this earth to oversee and manage and steward just about every parable Jesus talked about. It, 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 it reinforces this. So as a believer, what I, I've received things. I've received gifts. I've received talents. Maybe I put those talents to good use. And I'm commanded by scripture to be generous with the resources that I've grown. Some got one talent, one got two talents, one got five talent. We all get different talent. We all get different abilities. We all get different opportunities. What are you going to do with what God has given you? And then how are you going to contribute back voluntarily, right? Because socialism, like I have no say in you taking my money and redistributing it. It's taken. And usually the elites benefit most of the people and, you know, we won't even start with the 100 million people that died because of socialism last century. But putting that aside, the New Testament, if I'm a Christian, I'm taught to voluntarily and cheerfully give to do a couple things, build the kingdom of God and help those in need. That's right. Yeah. And I think what's so cool about it is it's really God's economy, right? You know, there's, right. there's, we certainly can, can say, look, socialism is not the answer. And I think you rightfully can criticize the elements of capitalism that you need to criticize as well. The unrestrained greed is yep. certainly antithetical to the scriptures and and what we're called and told to do. And I think that that kind of leads me to my question too. And you can talk a little bit about this. Yeah, culturally, maybe there's some falling apart at the seams, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and encouragement around where do you see faith-based organizations, leaders, and, and the church at large fitting into the solutions yep. for our culture and 100%. the world at large? Where, what, what do you see coming forward? Yeah. So, you know, I, I live in the business world now. And, you know, my role has shifted as, you know, someone who was in ministry, you know, full-time for many, many years, um, serving, you know, God and, and trying to help God's people with the gifts and talents he gave me. Uh, my focus now is to build um, businesses, and I'm kind of focused on this one. Um, I, I think I'll do other ones. I think there's, you know, more business. I want to, you know, I have kind of dreams of getting a venture fund where I can basically back Christian entrepreneurs like myself and, and keep the cycle going. Um, so I think it, you know, as a, as someone who is in the business kind of sphere and focus, honestly, this idea that I'm, you know, I'm writing a lot about it on my Facebook, I'm kind of launching my blog, new blog soon. And it, it's essentially Christian capitalism, which is this, go and make as much money as you can so you can give it away to build the kingdom of God and help the poor. That's, that's what I, that's kind of, you know, if there was a mission here, I'm 57, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to hopefully going to be healthy for another 20 or 30 years. My mission in life is I want to create so much wealth myself. I'm, and I'm not ashamed of it. Um, you know, you can get down on Elon and Bezos and these guys, you know, what, how many people work for Amazon? 800, 900,000 people. Um, how many of those have healthcare now? How many of those are getting more mm. than minimum wage? All of them, because the free market took care of it. The democratic socialists want, who want to kind of equal everything by guaranteeing the free market took care of minimum wage because there was a shortage of labor. There was businesses that were prospering. So, and guess what else Amazon does now? They give you access to free two-year college. Like, like the free market is the key to having people come out of poverty and build a life and build wealth. I want to have as much wealth as God will give me as long as I'm doing the right thing with it. And the other two, other thing is I want to create so many millionaires. I want to create so much wealth with, with it for people who have the kind of same biblical worldview as I do is, is that I just want to in, increase my impact in that, you know, in that way. So, you know, I, I want to, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be a billionaire, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for it because, you know, I love providing great jobs. I love seeing people prosper. And, you know, I feel like I could do a lot of good 
with what God gives me because it's going to be channeled into uh, the things that are eternal. Yeah, it's so incredible and encouraging. And I think a lot of people need to hear that message. And I, I would love to see more Christian business owners for that very reason that you just described. We need more people with that mindset that are thinking that way because capitalism works better when you have individuals like that are trying to generate wealth for the good of everyone around them. It, it, it gets hurt when you have only people in the marketplace that are out for their own self-interest. Um, yeah. But even that being said, as you mentioned, what's amazing about it is the market tends to push those people away eventually. It, it, yep. it seems to win out. Uh, you can't keep underpaying your people and have your organization last for very long. Exactly. You're, you're going to run into some some issues with staffing uh, or your your vendors uh, because you're being cheap with them. They're not going to supply you anymore. Right. Quality's going to go down. So it's uh, it's amazing to see it work out. And I think we've kind of seen it accelerated due to COVID. Yeah. So many different inter- you know interesting things that are happening. Um, I'd love to hear as we kind of come up to time to as we're coming out of COVID. Are you encouraged or are you concerned? And depending on which answer, why? I'm highly optimistic. I'll just start with that. I think markets aside, like, you know, let's get our eyes off the stock market and stuff for a bit. The, this, the ebb and flow of free markets is, you know, well documented over the last 120 years. So the cycles when things are growing, the cycle thing when they pull back. But here's what I think. COVID has been an eye-opener on many levels for the church. We were caught unaware. We shifted to online. We're doing all these things. I think the mission of the church has not changed. And I think what it's done is highlight the massive amount of pain in our communities, whether it's around loneliness, whether it's around around financial things, whether it's around divorce. the, The pain in our communities is right in front of us. And I think COVID has accentuated and just magnified the pain. That's in our communities. People are looking for answers all over the place. We know where the real answer is. So if you're a believer, you believe that Jesus is is going to win. <laughs> you know, we I snuck a look, a look at the end of the book and I found out we won. Jesus is going to rule and reign over the earth forever and ever and ever. There's going to be an incredible new heaven and a new earth and all the rest of it. But my job in the here and now is how do I be part of that solution that brings real blessing and, and real solutions to people who are facing really, you know, tough things right now. COVID has magnified that. This is the moment for the church to rise. And I think we have to utilize technology. Hey, is there going to be such thing as the, the meta church? You better believe it. It's, it's, it. Those forms of it already there. Like what, whatever means we, is that going to replace real in, in-person church? No, it, it won't. It won't because there's things that happen in real in-person church that are biblical that only happen when you're actually with a person. But there's all these opportunities with technology and business and to go and serve and help communities. And so I'm optimistic about the future. And I think the church has to be on the front foot. And I think we have to embrace the times and reach our generation for Christ, as has been going on for 2,000 years. Hmm. So I, I think my final question for you would be, as you think about leaders who may be listening to this podcast, how would you challenge their thinking as they think about the next decade or two of leadership? What is something that they need to think about that you just think, man, a lot of leaders are missing this. This is what they need to be considering this is what they need to be focusing on that maybe they tend to not see you know i i would i would humbly say stay humble but think big you know it's kind of almost a cliche like oh you're not thinking big enough god is so much bigger than our biggest dream that we've ever dreamt and so it's having the humility to believe that god wants to do extraordinary things through you and then, you know, I, I go to the end and work back. You know, where do I want to be? Okay, let me, what are the 20 steps I've got to go and do to get to where I want to go? But most of the time I start in a place that's too small. And, and I just think I would, I always want to challenge, you know, people who are leaders, you know, of faith, just to think big, take mm-hmm. the challenges and like, just, just embrace the challenge, embrace the, and, and man, look, tech is so good at this. 
there's a podcast I listen to called Acquired. It's kind of a long form. They do these really deep dives. They did this deep dive on uh, Elon Musk. And, you know, the guy made a hundred whatever million from PayPal and he's like wants to put rockets into space. It's costing him 20 million a, 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 a go. The first one blows up. The second one blows up. He's down to his last 20 million. And like the Malaysian government or someone said, look, you know, we'll we'll pay you after it only gets into orbit. He bets his last 20 million on this fourth rocket and finally it, it works, right? Mm. It, it's just like, man, we've got to be inspired to take risks and, and go big. And I think if we keep that spirit as uh, as believers who are who are going for it, man, we're gonna God's gonna move, and there's gonna be incredible things that we can do on this planet. I love it. That was great. So, uh, folks can find you at tithe.ly. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of Dean Sweetman at everywhere. You know? There you go. That's perfect. And then I believe uh, your podcast, uh, the new one, uh, all of the podcasts can be found at Vast. Dot faith Correct. and can be downloaded, I believe, of pretty much any any platform that's out there. And so, Dean, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Enjoy it. See you next time, Kim. Thanks.